2: This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Chief Political Correspondent at Guardian Australia. Today we're briefly taking a break from Australian politics and taking a look at this week's dramatic events in UK politics. From our global news podcast, Today in Focus, host Michael Safi explores why the ex-UK Prime Minister David Cameron is back in Cabinet and what this means for the future of the Conservative Party. Once upon a time, in 2016, a Prime Minister named David Cameron made a fateful decision to put the question of the UK's membership in the EU to a referendum, hoping he could end it once and for all as a distraction for the Tories so they could get on with governing.
0: On Monday, I will commence the process set out under our Referendum Act and I will go to Parliament and propose that the British people decide our future in Europe through an in-out referendum on Thursday, the 23rd of June. The choice is in your hands.
2: But his plan didn't work out.
1: The UK has voted to leave the European Union.
2: Cameron decided he was done. On Wednesday, I would attend the House of Commons for Prime Minister's
0: questions. And then after that, uh, I expect to go to the palace and offer my resignation. So we'll have a new Prime Minister in that building behind me uh, by Wednesday evening.
2: Thank you very much. And he shuffled off into the political wilderness with a song in his step. Right. Seven years since have been a roller coaster of different prime ministers. A period of seemingly non stop political turmoil that's left the British government deeply unpopular and politics feeling pretty broken. And Rishi Sunak knows in the country's time of need, there's only one man who can fix
1: it. That's the security detail just opening the door for David, David Cameron. Cameron. What?
0: I was not expecting (laughs) that.
2: From the Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in focus, really, David Cameron. Hippocrera, you're the Guardian's political editor and we've caught you just after a briefing with number 10. You're among the best informed people in the country when it comes to British politics. David Cameron as foreign secretary, did you see this coming at all?
1: In a word, no. Um, I think we all anticipated a reshuffle today. Um, Obviously, there was lots of speculation about Serla Braverman's future, and it was no surprise at all that she was sacked for us this thing this morning in what I'm sure would have been a rather tense phone call with Rishi Sunak. But for then David Cameron, the former prime minister, to be announced as the new foreign secretary, no, well, that definitely wasn't something we were expecting.
0: Well, I know it's not usual for a prime minister to come back in this way, but I believe in public service The Prime Minister asked me to do this job and it's a time where we have some daunting challenges as a country.
2: Explain to me how this is possible to go from sitting around a shed or a shepherd's hut, reportedly a little bored with your life on a Sunday, to Foreign Secretary on Monday. How does that work when you're not even an MP?
1: Well, David Cameron's allies would have you believe that he's been very busy and purposeful the last couple of years. But like you say, there has been a sort of a feeling around that he has sort of lacked um, something really uh, solid to do with his time and that um, he's, been, he's been looking around for some way of, I guess, perhaps redeeming himself after quite a difficult departure after the Brexit referendum um, from government. Uh, and what we are told by uh, some of those allies is that this idea emanated from the Prime Minister himself from Rishi Sinek himself but as you rightly say he's not an MP and he's not a peer. So what they've done is create a peerage for him today. He's already, we've found out at this briefing earlier, uh, gone through the HOLAC appointment system, which is the sort of the vetting process for the House of Lords. And he's also had begun the process with the Prime Minister's ethics advisor, which he needs to do to kind of go through um, or declare all his interests and so on to make sure he doesn't end up in hot water down the line. So those processes have been underway for a while. And while it feels like they've been fast-tracked, it is pretty amazing, particularly in the sort of rather febrile environment around the government and around Westminster at the moment, that this didn't leak out before it was announced.
2: Yeah, incredible. If David Cameron is the solution, let's talk about the problem. We covered Suella Braverman on Friday. The fact she was making all of these outrageous statements, she was penning opinion pieces in the Times without Number 10's approval. Some said that she was begging to be sacked.
1: The Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has accused the Metropolitan Police of having favourites after the Forces Commissioner, Sir Mark Rowley, resisted calls to block pro-Palestinian demonstrations from taking place in London this weekend. That was Friday. Take me
2: through the events that followed.
1: Well, we had the, the big march on Saturday on Armistice Day, the pro Palestinian march, which uh, passed off, off largely peacefully, although there were arrests, mostly, I have to say, from um, far right uh, activists who were out and kind of like shouting at people on the march and disrupting the peace. And that's according to the police, they were, that's where most of the arrests were. Oh, no. and yet despite all of that and despite the fact that i think a lot of people felt that sort of brotherman had almost like goaded those people to to sort of uh, to appear uh, to turn up um, the, she doubled down on her remarks, some of the remarks about the marches and uh, you know them being hate marches and uh, criticising those that had, that had appeared on them. And um, it was quite clear that she wasn't planning on changing tack any time soon and backing away in a very major way from some of her uh, more extreme views, which she articulated in that Times article last week that got her into trouble with, with Downing Street. So I think the decision was made um, at that point. I think they decided that they wanted However, to leave it until after Remembrance Sunday.
0: When I'm here next week, will the Home Secretary still be Home Secretary? Well, look, as you know and I know well, um, a week's a long time in politics, and I never make predictions about these things. As I say, it's entirely a matter for the Prime Minister.
1: We've all, as we arrived in Westminster this morning expecting her to get the call. And I have to say, it's really notable that normally when these things happen, even in, if it's in quite difficult circumstances, there's an exchange of letters between the Prime Minister and the departing Minister. Uh, and that hasn't happened here. It suggests that she's leaving on, on very poor terms. The Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, has been sacked. So confirmed
0: to me in just the last couple of minutes that the Prime Minister asked Mrs Braverman to leave the government and she has... Accepted. So, a new Home Secretary coming as part of a wider reshuffle that I'm told is underway
2: right now.
1: You know, she tweeted to say that she'll be saying more in due course. And I imagine number 10 will be sitting there waiting to see what she comes out with.
2: And Braverman was sacked from this same role a little over a year ago and reappointed by Rishi Sunak. He knew what he was getting. What do you think she was doing for him? a year ago. And what do you think has changed now?
1: Yes, it is remarkable, isn't it, that Sunak appointed her a year ago, six days after she was sacked for breaking the ministerial code by Liz Truss. Um, and at the time, everyone was kind of like, "What? why on earth has he done this? And decided that really it was by keeping the right of the party happy, because she has been the flag bearer of that wing of the Conservative Party. And Rishi Sunak, despite some of his socially uh, more conservative tendencies, um, has, you know, tried at that point to have, um, aware that the party was fracturing post the the Liz Truss implosion, um, tried to bring the party to back together and... Her presence in the cabinet at that time was a trade-off he had to make with the right. And in fact, it was more than that. It was also um, in reward, a reward for her in return for backing him when Boris Johnson, remember him, suggested that he might rejoin the fray and um, have a go at the leadership again post-Liz Trust. So he needed to appoint her at that point. But it was a relationship from the beginning, which was fraught with difficulty. Uh, we've heard uh, all sorts of inflammatory rhetoric from her over the course of the last year. And she has been incredibly... Increasingly outspoken, almost goading Sunak to sack her. Suella Braverman has announced plans to restrict the use of tents by homeless people. As she claimed, sleeping rough was, quote, a lifestyle choice for many. So I feel it was almost inevitable that it was going to reach this point.
2: And... Do you think in sacking Braverman, he isn't just getting rid of a Home Secretary, he's getting rid of an entire political strategy?
1: There's a couple of things there. I think that's right. I mean, initially when he came in, he hoped to be able to uh, to persevere with the electoral coalition that Boris Johnson had brought together so successfully in 2019, the Red Wall, the Blue Wall, bringing together all the different parts of the conservative movement to back him and eventually to win that massive ET um, majority that he did it became quite clear quite quickly that despite having people like Kemi Badenoch and Sola Braverman in his cabinet, the Red Wall wasn't taking to Rishi Sunak. He was not going to garner the same sort of support there as Boris Johnson had done. So they switched strategy and focused on the Blue Wall. And then what became increasingly apparent was that in those Tory heartlands, Sola Braverman was playing a part in retoxifying the Conservative Party. And traditional Tory voters, even in the shires, were thinking, actually, we can't back a Conservative Party that has her as his Home Secretary. So he had to switch tack again and, uh, and, and try and sort of make the party more palatable. The second thing, just to say quickly, is that there's a real change in strategy um, of a different sort from a Conservative Party conference where he stood up and pledged to rip up the political consensus of three decades and to be the change candidate, a bit implausible really, when his party's been in power for 13 years, but nevertheless that was the strategy they took. We've had 30 years Of
2: a political system which
1: incentivises the easy decision, not the right
2: one. 30 years of vested interest standing in the way of change. 30 years of rhetorical ambition which achieves little more than a
1: short-term headline. And yet here we are, a clear dropping of that change candidate strategy by bringing back a former prime minister into one of the great big offices of state.
2: So what you're saying here is that Rishi Sunak ultimately is is a pragmatist. He didn't love what Bravman represented. He thought he needed it. Now he's looked at the polls and said, actually, no, this is bad politics. And so she's got to go.
1: Well, I think any politician that wants to be successful has to be pragmatist, and I think that the one we've had recently that was not a pragmatist, Liz Truss, who was an overwhelm, overwhelmingly an ideologue, showed what happens if you're not prepared to be flexible and uh, bend at least to a, at least to a certain extent to the you know to the pressures of public opinion. What was increasingly clear, and some of the snap polling we've had out immediately from YouGov today shows that uh, in the wake of her departure, shows that uh, overwhelmingly the public thinks that. He was right to get rid of her, that she become a liability rather than any sort of asset in any part of the country. Um, and even among some of those 2019 voters, there was a large chunk of people that felt that she uh, was not the right person for the job anymore. Um, and that, you know, that more generally across the Conservative Party, the right has remained pretty muted so far. I mean, let's see what happens when she decides to have her say on all of this. Um, but the left or... The moderate wing of the Conservative Party is absolutely jubilant.
2: Okay, so that's who he's gotten rid of. Let's talk about who Rishi Sunak has brought in. What do we know about David Cameron's popularity with voters? He spent years in the political wilderness, not without attracting controversy. Are voters going to be happy to see him back in government?
1: That same polling by YouGov suggests that the majority of voters are, um, in fact, uh, welcome his uh, return to government, that enough time has passed since his departure. Um, that they uh, can recognise his his assets and maybe if not having forgotten about uh, some of the more difficult times when he was in charge. at least now reflect on that period um, when he was in power. He was Prime Minister for six years including of course five in coalition with Lib Dems as a period of relative stability given what came next and I think what a lot of people crave if you speak to them out in the streets and across the country is that sort of sense that the government is just getting on and doing the job, is serious is grown up, is stable and that's certainly what Rishi Sunak's trying to tap into by pointing David Cameron.
2: And so Cameron is the headline figure to come out of this reshuffle. But tell me about the others, the casualties and the winners from Monday.
1: So there was a few other moves, as you say. Um, the only other big cabinet well it wasn't a sacking because she resigned but I think if she'd hung on it might have been it was Therese Coffey who was the Environment Secretary and don't forget that she also was uh, associated with the more recent past she was Liz Truss's Deputy Prime Minister and in the same way that Suella Braverman uh, stayed on as a sort of a, a sop to the to the right of the party when Rishi Sunak took over as Prime Minister so Therese Coffey was kept on as sort of like a nod to the Liz Truss era um, but she's had a pretty, pretty difficult time at the Department for the Environment I think this is the interesting bit really of all of this beyond the sort of the the David Cameron Sola Brotherman headlines um, is that there's a whole slew of middle-ranking, fairly competent Tory, uh, Tory ministers who, from, uh, across a variety of departments, people like Jesse Norman, uh, people like Nick Gibb, people like Will Quince, who have stepped down for various reasons and in their place are being, have been appointed rising stars. I would, you know, in the past have called them uh, Cameroons, but I guess these days we need to call them synakites. And I think that as the, as the hours go on, we will hear more Um, of these much more moderate, much more, um, inverted commas, sensible, uh, much more kind of serious players who are sort of almost like corporate politicians taking on some of those roles.
2: And do you think any of Monday's efforts at rebranding are going to be stressful for Keir Starmer? Do you think he sees any of this as a serious challenge?
1: I think they were probably caught on the hop by it just as much as the rest of us. Um, So I think Labour will be working out their strategy. But where uh, I think they they will be quite relaxed about it is um, that uh, it, it has become increasingly evident that the whole change strategy that Sunak was apparently pursuing isn't going to work. And let's face it, we know a lot about David Cameron. And even if there are people out there who think that he's serious, that he's credible, that he's competent, he's likely to do a good job in a government position, there are also plenty of people who will be saying, well, what about the bombing of Libya? And what about um, sharing a pint with President Xi of China? And what about inviting Russian money into London? And that's just on the foreign policy beat. What about Brexit Um, and the way that the country was so deeply divided and the Conservative Party riven with schisms? as a result of a decision he took to hold a referendum. James is in Chelsea. Hi, James.
0: I, uh, yeah, I am just absolutely livid, you know what I mean? We, we have to keep going round and round.
1: It's and- very easy with all the other scandals that have erupted since around David Cameron to gloss over the fact that he and George Osborne were the architects of austerity inflicted so much damage to the public services, which we saw writ large during the pandemic, when the health service wasn't really equipped to be able to cope.
2: I mean, him walking up down, Downing Street this morning, going in to say 9 o'clock, coming out 9.45 to say. Not an MP, not elected, not nothing. And he comes out a lord.
1: And for a lot of people, did huge amounts of damage to their lives. I think just given the time has passed, there will be people who have managed to move on over that. But there will be that lingering sense around David Cameron always, that he was the prime minister that took an axe to our public services and left them in a state and left many people's lives in a position where they were really struggling to cope. The relationship between Cameron and the failed financier has spawned eight investigations and put into question the very nature of the ties between politicians and their commercial interests. And then also, what about in the last couple of years after he's left government and the Greensill scandal? he was criticised by a parliamentary committee, um, which was, you know, a huge, probably the biggest lobbying scandal that we've seen um, in, in recent in recent years. So, you know, there's a lot for the opposition to get stuck into, if you like, and I'm sure that they will be using every possible opportunity to remind people of some of David Cameron's failings.
0: I noticed you ducked my question on Greensill there. A specific answer to that question, the Treasury Select Committee branding a significant lack of judgement. Well, I think... All those things were dealt with by the Treasury Select Committee, by other other inquiries at the time. And as far as I'm concerned, that is all dealt with and in the past. And I now have one job as Britain's Foreign Secretary, as part of Rishi Sunak's team.
2: Do we have a sense that in his role as Foreign Secretary, what David Cameron might be seeking to do, what his priorities might be?
1: Well, I think the priority for any incoming foreign secretary has got to be the Middle East peace process, and um, trying to trying to sort of get a grip with what's going on from a UK perspective um, in Gaza. Um, and Israel. And David Cameron does have links to some of the Gulf states Uh, some of them he's formed post-government and some of those relationships might prove useful when it comes to uh, pressurising or encouraging the Gulf states um, to to apply pressure on on Hamas to release release some of the hostages for example. Um, He also, quite controversially at the time, um, and given the government's position, talked about Gaza previously being a type of open-air prison. Um, you know, you might think that that sort of betrays his true feelings about what's going on there. We'll have to see. And then the other big area that he obviously will be focusing on as he takes over um, on, in the foreign office is Ukraine and the ongoing conflict there. Um, making it sure that even though uh, really sort of the MOD, the Ministry of Defence, has, has taken the lead in, in recent weeks over this, that the Foreign Office is still a major player and that, uh, you know, you can imagine him wanting to meet with Zelensky and reassure uh, the Ukrainians that uh, that the UK is fully on side with them. And that, of course, is before you get to sort of the longer term strategic uh, threats and and opportunities, depending on who you are, uh, that exist with places like China, with the US, the relationship there ahead of the next election and the prospect of a new Trump uh, presidency and, of course, here on our doorsteps in Europe and all the sort of political turmoil that is happening right across the continent, um, which he will know many of these figures, but he'll be known by them as uh, the man that, uh, that that imposed Brexit.
2: And given his links to China, do you think that's going to pose an issue for him? Because the environment around that issue has changed almost 180 since he was in power.
1: It really has. And the difference is not just at the top of government. It is one of the few issues, foreign policy issues on the conservative backbenches, which really splits the party. There is a huge amount of pressure on the backbenches. Um, over uh, how we regard China and, and sort of pressure on Sunak not just to be sort of an economic realist but to recognise the ideological threat um, and the security threat that um, that China poses uh, to the UK and I think that even though Cameron will inevitably uh, take, the, take the government line it is such a difference from his time in charge and what were clearly at that point his attitudes towards the Chinese that I think some of his own backbenchers will be wondering whether it's credible. So Pippa, we're in a situation
2: where we have the remainer prime minister who accidentally sent the country out of the EU, now back in government at the expense of the hard right of the party. It begs the question, how is that hard right going to take this?
1: Well, I think we have to watch this space. So far, they've been keeping their powder dry. And I suspect part of that is that they're looking to Suella Braverman to see what her response is. And also because the the reshuffle, certainly at the sort of the middle ranking minister level, is not yet complete. They'll they'll want to see how many of their own are uh, are in positions of power. I mean, it leaves Kemi Badenoch as really the sort of the, the standard bearer of the right in cabinet. There's very few other cabinet ministers that you would regard as being of the right. There's been one appointment, um an MP called Lee Rowley reappointed as uh, Housing Minister, uh, the 16th change or 16th Housing Minister though he has done the job before since 2010. Um and he is of the right. He's a, he was part of Keir Meadox leadership campaign. But he is currently a lone example of um, somebody who, who is regarded as being on the Tory right, being put into a ministerial position. So watch this space. I suspect the combination of Suella Braverman being sacked and the appointment of ultra-Remainer, moderate, uh, um, centrist, conservative David Cameron um, is going to be prove pretty, um, pretty inflammatory for some of those MPs on the Tory right.
2: David Cameron spent his time in office trying to detoxify the Tories. Suella braverman has been spending her last few years seemingly trying to retoxify it. Is this the end for her style of politics? Or do you think she'll live on to be sacked again as Home Secretary or from some <laughs> other role again in the future?
1: She now holds the rather dubious honour of being, um, uh, not, if not the only, then one of the only cabinet ministers to be appointed um, and sacked twice from the same job in the space of more or less a year. Um, you know, I don't think it's the end of the solar bruvman. Let's see what happens uh, at the election. But I don't think this side of the election, there's much space for her to ever come back. I think Rishi Sunak has formed his top team. The other side of an election, depending on the result, then I think there's going to be, you know, potentially if Labour wins and all mighty battle for the soul of the conservative party and Suella Braverman's likely to be at the vanguard of that battle as she uh, attempts to become the, the right-wing candidate um, and in, in the contest that would then follow
2: and finally what about David Cameron does this signal a long-term return to british politics or just a good way to fill the time
1: i'd say i think he's here till the general election i think he Feels that um, he and Jeremy Hunt, who stays as Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, James Cleverley, these people running the big these men running the big offices of state are all um, in it to make sure that the Conservative Party, in their view, doesn't get wiped out at the next election. Um, and I think that is probably his primary motivation. If the Conservatives win the election against all the odds, then maybe he'll stick around. But I think as things now stand that's looking like a bit of a long shot.
2: Well, Pippa, it's a busy night. We'll let you get on with it. But thanks so much for talking to us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: That was The Guardian's political editor, Pippa Crera. You can follow all her coverage and the rest of our team at theguardian.com. You can also get the latest instalment of Politics Weekly UK with our columnist Gabby Hinsliff and former conservative Downing Street Chief of Staff Gavin Barwell picking over the latest reshuffle fallout. Find it wherever you get this podcast. And that is it for today. I'm Michael Safi and this episode was produced by Sammy Kent, Courtney Youssef and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers were Homa Khalili and Phil Maynard. And we're back with you tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20%
0: below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.